Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 148. I actually think this was one of my favorite episodes to record uh, because it's a guy I've known at CSP for several years now, and we've seen several iterations of him where he's worked through different things with his training approaches, he's worked through different mechanical approaches, and he's kind of redesigned his pitch mix, how he approaches hitters. Um, just a very articulate guy who's very well thought out in the way he approaches things. So I think there's a lot of good lessons ranging from his participation in multi-sports at a young age, all the way up to kind of how he's really made himself into a major league regular this past year. So really good lessons here. I think you're going to enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by Proteus Motion. Proteus has developed the only practical and accurate way to quickly measure physical strength and speed across the entire body. Power is plane specific and most of human movement is divided into three dimensions, but strength and power has typically been measured using one dimensional movements performed in a straight line, things like the squat and the bench press. Measuring more than that can require numerous pieces of lab grade equipment and hours of time. Proteus Insight softwares give trainers the ability to focus precisely on what, where, why, and how to personalize training programs. In as little as four minutes, Proteus software guides users through full body assessments that test all planes of movement and delivers unprecedented data on precisely what areas of the body need improvement and where an athlete's movement falls on the force velocity curve. Set demographic filters to compare an individual to someone like them using Proteus's proprietary database of millions of reps. Get insights and actionable and understandable recommendations to work into programming. Proteus Insights software delivers the most personalized training insights in history. On a personal level, I've been a big fan of Proteus for the past few years. We have a unit in both Cressy Sports Performance Facilities, and I actually helped to develop the Cressy Power Test for rotational athletes. The information we've gathered from this testing has been an absolute game changer in helping us to more optimally program for our athletes. Additionally, as a training initiative, work on the Proteus has allowed us to train different points on the force velocity curve and rotational patterns in ways that medicine ball work alone could never do. Proteus is doing for full body physical strength what the x-ray and MRI have done for body imaging. It saves coaches a lot of time and headaches in their assessment of what makes an athlete successful and what qualities need to be improved to take that athlete to the next level. Learn more about this revolutionary performance testing and training solution that is an essential component of sports performance and sports medicine settings across the U.S. and Canada at www.proteusmotion.com backslash elite. You can also learn more about them by listening to episode 106 of this Elite Baseball Development Podcast. Again, that's www.proteusmotion.com backslash elite. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Today's guest is a right-handed pitcher who was born in Florida and drafted in the 40th round of the 2013 MLB draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates. He opted not to sign, instead attending the University of North Florida. Following his sophomore season there, he played for the Bourne Braves in the Cape Cod Baseball League, posting a 2.48 ERA with 30 strikeouts and 7 walks in 29 innings. As a junior, he was named first-team All-Atlantic Sun Conference after posting a 6-4 record and a conference leading 2.27 ERA with 80 strikeouts. The Rockies then drafted him in the 11th round of the 2016 MLB Draft, and not long thereafter traded him to the Blue Jays in 2018. In 2021, he was called up to the big leagues for the first time, and he made his MLB debut with a scoreless inning on September 5th. Following the season, he was claimed off waivers by the Baltimore Orioles, where he established himself as a regular in their bullpen in 2022. On the year, he made 66 appearances, posting a 3.49 ERA over 69 innings with 76 strikeouts and 26 walks. He picked up four wins and one save along the way. Please welcome to the show, Brian Baker. 
Brian, welcome to the show. This is long overdue. Thank you for, for joining us. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Um, so you've been a CSP guy for a long time. So we've got a, a lot of things to cover. Um, and I think a lot of really important lessons for players and coaches and parents alike. But I think probably the best place to start is, is who you were before we ever met up. Um, talk to me about your early sports career. Like what was, uh, you know, high school and even before that, like, were you a multi-sport athlete? Yeah, definitely. I was, uh, I was into anything and everything athletics, um, since I can remember. So my, uh, my grandpa was a, was a huge influence in my life when he was just like a, a, a coach, a, a high school football coach at the time. Um, and then retired and then had a bunch of time to mess around with me and with a bunch of sports. So that's, that's the beginning of my background. My dad was, my dad was an athlete too. So, um, but yeah, I was playing, I was playing anything and everything from, uh, from the jump. And I did some, um, you know, I, I did some weight training and stuff with him. He got me started on the basics when I was really young. So I like, it. um, yeah, I, I did all kind of stuff, but yeah. Kind and of- it did not start your growth. You're six foot seven or six, six. <laughs> so it's probably an important message to throw out here. He was, he was getting after it. Yeah. To, yeah. Age 10. There's, there's definitely <laughs> concerns I'm sure for more kind of people, but I, I turned out okay. Um, yeah, I played a little bit of everything. I, I, I drew to, uh, basketball and baseball the most. So I ended up playing those predominantly, um, mm-hmm. you know, as the years went on, but I mean, I was, I was playing soccer. I was, I was playing football in the yard. I was, you know, skateboarding. I was, I was doing all kinds of stuff, um, in free time too. you know, go play, go play tennis, play ping pong, um, you name it. But, you know, by the time high school came around, it was pretty much just basketball and baseball. And then finally had to say goodbye to basketball when college came around. So, that was, that was a tough, that was the toughest one for me. Got to hit, hit close to home, but, um, yeah, ended up just, uh, finally sticking with baseball just right when college started. So, um, yeah, that's how it kind of, kind of went down. One thing I'm actually really curious about, um, I know we had talked in the past about you being involved in multiple sports. I didn't realize that there was such like a, a big breath to it. Everything from like tennis to stalker to skateboarding, like, a lot of things that involve dexterity, um, like the feet and, and like understand that. And I, I remember distinctly being at the university of Connecticut from 2003 to 2005 and, you know, seeing some of like the big men we had guys that were six ten and above. And we had a couple uh, Emeka Okafor is one that always comes to mind. And he had like a big soccer background was great defensively really moved incredibly well for a legit seven footer. Did you, were you tall, young? Like, did you go through a big growth spurt or was it more gradual? Were you actually like, do you ever have that, that awkward, clumsy newborn horse stage? Uh, I think I, I was always pretty tall. Um, but I think it, it, from like seventh grade going into eighth grade, eight, from like the seventh grade to ninth grade range, um, I just shot up. I think I was, I mean, I was already pretty tall, but I think I was six two, like legitimately six two by like ninth grade. Um, so that was, that was probably the biggest jump and I had like the knee pain stuff a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was probably the, the, the most, uh, obviously getting used to the new, the new body and everything. Um, that was the biggest stage for sure. When I kind of shot up and had to, you know, reassess how to, how to use my big limbs, long limbs and yeah. stuff. <laughs> I think, I think early sports specialization really interferes with guys ability to adjust to those growth spurts. Cause you think about it, you have, you know, bones that are stretching out so much faster than muscles and tendons, you know, and, and you are really predisposed to actually losing motion. But if you've got a lot of different activities taking place on a daily, weekly basis, 
it's a good chance to not necessarily like lose any of those patterns that you would, you would really need. Um, maybe speak a little bit to the baseball side of things. And I I actually didn't even realize this until, uh, until we looked you up. I didn't, I didn't realize that you had been drafted out of high school. Um, you were 40th rounder. Um, you wound up at the university of North Florida. So you weren't like an sec guy. You weren't, you know, racing off to, you know, Texas or anything like that. You know, was it a tough decision for you or were you a guy that like you, you felt like you absolutely need college? So, so exactly what we're talking about plays right into this decision. So it's perfect segue by you there. Uh, I, I, I was, um, I was pretty much 50, 50 on basketball and baseball. So mm-hmm. I, I really didn't even make the decision, you know, which one I wanted to play, um, mm-hmm. in college specifically until, you know, pretty late, you know, if the recruiting, recruiting process had kind of started and it was like, okay, you know, I probably have more of a future, um, trying to pitch, uh, as opposed to, you know, you know, me at the time, you know, I'm obviously trying to play a game for as long as I can for a living, see if I can mm-hmm. do it professionally and then, yeah. Um, and then move on from there. So um, that's I kind of did that going into my senior year a little bit, um, and then committed to UNF. Uh, I really didn't have that many offers. Um, I was I was always late to baseball season because basketball would run into it. So I was always kind of catching up. But um, I think by by like my junior year, I started to throw it a little bit harder. Started to pitch a little bit more. I mean, I, I was always like a um, shortstop center fielder, you know, somewhere scattered about and I'd occasionally pitch. So, um, started throwing it a little bit harder. And then I was, I realized, you know, this is, this is pretty fun. You know, I might be able to do this for a little bit longer. So started to specialize a little bit then, but, um, just with that, at that point in the recruiting process, it was just so late. Mm-hmm. Um, so I committed to UNF, um, like the fall of my senior year. And then at that point I was probably like, a you know, 88 mile an hour guy, um, started showing a couple of nineties, you know, in the fall. And then, um, I, I still played basketball my senior year. So I, that cut into, you know, a lot of the baseball season as well. So, and it's probably played, it paid off in the long run, you know, not throwing so much, you're putting, putting miles on the arm and stuff, but yeah, it's crazy um, to see a Florida guy that was a multi, I mean, was able to do that. Like you were a three sport athlete for a while, it seems like, and then it went yeah. It's hard to do yeah, the schedule so, here. Yeah, so it, it was it worked out well, but definitely um, the, the specialization aspect wasn't quite there. I was still a little bit raw, um, you know, hadn't, hadn't pitched for that long as well. So it, it, I did kind of figure it out a little bit my senior year. Had a better had a had a better year um, and started you know to talk to, to scouts a little bit more. So it picked up towards the end, but mm-hmm. it was such a long. Uh, I, I had my mind set on college for so long that. Yeah. Uh, I was mentally prepared for it and, and school yeah. is always super important in my household. My mom's a teacher. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I was, I went to like a, you know, a local all-star game and state all-star game, um, pretty close to when the draft would be happening. Um, my senior year randomly went to, you know, 92, 95, a couple of times. And yeah. it's like, Oh, you know, how much will you sign for? And it's like, mm-hmm. For me, it, it was just too fast. It was like, you know, I, I don't even know how to answer that question. You know, I'm not – at the time, I knew I wasn't really ready for um, just such a, a quick change of plans like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably within a month of the draft. So it never – it didn't really work out, and I'm pretty glad that I I chose the college route for sure. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the um... – you know, the, the glamour of like the, the courtship process when scouts start showing up and even like 
college coaches, agents, all those folks start like popping on the scene. But you know, I think it's very, uh, it's impressive to be able to like reflect on like really where you are and like how much you need to develop, whether it's, you know, from an actual skill standpoint, from a, you know, physicality standpoint, even just like a maturity standpoint. So I, I wish more guys would, would think that stuff through, um, because yeah. there are a lot of guys that I think rush to it. Um, you, you made a really good point though. I, I think the big leaguer, big leagues is loaded with late bloomers. And, and there's something to be said about, you know, not being that guy that's 95 to 98, throwing 130 innings your senior in high school. If you had to go back and look at it with like, you know, obviously you weren't pitching really in the winter and fall was probably geared more towards even basketball. Like, what do you think the most number of innings that you threw in, in a calendar year in high school was? You obviously had spring, but then some summer ball, I assume as well. Like, was it pretty well capped? Yeah, I, I, I'll give credit to my to my dad on that one. I mean, he was, he was all over it, um, making sure I wasn't going to get overused in any capacity. So, and, and, you know, obviously having that limited window compared to, you know, people who just play just baseball all year round, um, also contributed to that. But I mean, I probably, I, mean, I, I legitimately had 37 innings my senior year of high school, wow. like in during the season. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, probably, a few showcases in the fall, but that's really just a couple weekends. And then, um, the summer it would be, um, pretty steady, but there would also be basketball camps mixed in there too. So it, it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite the, I don't, and I would venture to say I probably never threw more than 55, 60 innings in a, in a wow. full calendar year. And, and developed in different ways by playing hoops, doing strength conditioning, all that stuff. Um, Absolutely, I love that. So you get you get to University of North Florida, and, and through college, you were you were started pretty much all the way, um, and then had one summer where you went to the Cape and you started relieving. You know, was, was there success that you found in the Cape that maybe set the stage for you? You know, eventually getting there, I guess, pretty quickly once you got to pro ball, or was it just you know kind of a, a numbers game with the Rockies when they when they transitioned you there? Yeah, I think I think that was um, it was it was good for my benefit, you know, just just being able to to do that in a you know not being able to go through my routine and and still being able to to throw pretty well and and, and leave like the cape. I could, I was like, okay, I can relieve, and I actually enjoyed it. But that like that was the that was the kind of a numbers game too. I was just like a late invite uh, up up in uh, up in Bourne, so I was just like you know trying to pitch well and to stay on the team. So. Um, that was a nice little, uh, I guess, tester, yeah, for the relief game. But I think that the main reason that I, I did make the switch in pro ball is with just, I showed up to my first spring training and I, and, uh, I was just the worst pitcher that I'd ever been. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I think it, it, it just, it made it easier for, for the Rockies at the time to be like, Hey, um, you know, you're not going to be in our starting rotation in low A this year. So, um, be ready to come out of the bullpen and kind of go from there. And then. Um, once I went back to it, just, I, I don't know if it's coming from the Cape and having that little bit of experience helped and then just the mentality switch. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I ate it up immediately. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, not exactly the way I wanted to become a reliever, but, uh, it ended up being a good thing. I think, I think I'm, I'm going to pull some numerical data for folks just cause I think it's important. So your, your average velo that summer on the Cape was 89.5. 
And you got to Pro Bowl, you made 11 starts, 89.9. You went to the pen, made 26 appearances the following year, and it was 93.3. So you were a guy that legitimately added almost four full ticks going to the pen and went from topping out at 93 to 97 plus. And then in 2018, hit 100 for the first time. So there was there was clearly like an element of go get it. Maybe it's a little mentality thing. Maybe it's just a, a different kind of prep, but it, it obviously was the right fit for you. When you look Absolutely. back, was there, was there something that, that jumps out at you as the reason why the velo surged that quickly? Um, I think, I think it just had to get to that, to that mentality to start with. And then it mm-hmm. kind of um, created the, the rest. I think uh, it was as a, as a starter, my, my mentality was always to kind of like pace myself and, yeah. and run through the order a few times, just from like when I can remember from when I was a kid that I just always kind of had. So it, even when I, I would ramp up for a few pitches, I think that was just like, I never really got to that, you know, let it eat all the time mentality yeah. as a starter. Um, so th- that was just, that was huge. And then, yeah, once you get to that phase, you're, you know, you're, you find out you can go a little bit faster. Um, and then you can kind of, you can kind of hone things in um, when you realize that's kind of what you're chasing after. Because I mean, a big part of the game today is, especially when you're, a young guy trying to get noticed, you know, you, you want to throw the ball a little bit harder. So that became more of a focus for sure. As a friendly reminder, this episode is brought to you by Proteus Motion. Proteus's resistance training is known as 3D resistance, and it's revolutionizing the way that we can train athletes in a variety of planes of motion, and also the way that we can test those athletes to best design programs to make them successful. We've used Proteus at Cressy Sports Performance for the past few years and collaborated with them to develop the Cressy Power Test for rotational athletes. If you're working with baseball players, this is a must-have tool for making sure that you design the right kind of programs for your athletes to get them to where they want to be as quickly and safely as possible. The Proteus allows you to train various points rotationally on the force velocity curve in ways that you just can't get with medicine balls, weighted balls, weighted bats, things like that. Again, you can learn more about Proteus at ProteusMotion.com. Again, that's ProteusMotion.com, P-R-O-T-E-U-S Motion.com. You know, you, you didn't, you weren't in a huge conference in college and then you go to Pro Ball. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the guy, like the SEC, AC guys have kind of like a I guess a little bit more exposure, whether it's, you know, being around pro guys in the off season or just like the, the level of competition, maybe being a little higher. What was the biggest adjustment for you going into pro ball? Was it, was it like a, a dramatic adjustment or did you feel like the shift happened pretty gradually? Um, I think it was, I think we were experiencing it. Um, it was, it was like the best few guys that you faced on each college team was like the whole lineup now pretty much in terms of uh, those first couple of years of just pure talent that you're going to be seeing um, where it's like, you know, in college it was, you had the, you know, the top of the order, um, you know, you kind of had to pay attention to, and then it kind of felt like that quality of player was, was their entire team, which you got even a rookie ball out in, mm-hmm. in Colorado for me. I think it was just that, that talent level was definitely up there. And then, you know, as you go up, as you go up in, in levels, the, the plate, the plate awareness is the biggest key to me. Um, just big league hitters, you know, even as you go all the way up, the the eye for the zone is just, is what really sticks out. And then obviously those mistakes, usually, you know, there's something that's going to happen to those mistakes more so against those type of guys. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing is, 
Did you, um, was there one like adjustment level to level that you thought like was the biggest one? Cause I've heard different things from different guys. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about your opinion. Um, honestly it was, it, for me, it was, it was like getting over the, whether it would be fear or whatever, but, um, the whole like dance around guys trying to make the, the perfect pitch is what usually would get me in a worse count to where I had to throw, you know, the pitch that was more hittable. So, or just walk guys you know, is just learning that, um, you know, no matter how good they are, you got to fill up the zone. Um, nobody wants to see a guy out there walking everybody anyway, holding up the game. So that, that was, that's honestly my biggest growth, um, you know, through the years is, and being able to compete at each level. Um, it's just, it's going right at people. That, that's the biggest adjustment, honestly, that I've made. That's something you said that I think baseball in general, like, you know, stuff is, is probably better than it's ever been before and hitting is harder than it's ever been. I think Lance Lynn once told me, he's like, hitters aren't that good. Just throw fastballs. And I mean, Lance has like nine different fastballs. So it's maybe a little bit of a, a unique perspective, but um, yeah. you are unique in the sense that you're a very high release point guy over the course of your career. It's been anywhere from like six, you know, six and a half to seven feet, um, you know, and, and you're six foot six. So it's a high, you know, release point for anybody, but it's also, you know, maybe a really, maybe a little bit more of a normal slot for you. Like what are some key considerations for guys that throw from really, you know, high slot like you do? Cause you're up there uh, in like Verlander territory. Yeah. I, and honestly it used to be even more iron Mike-ish. I have some funny yeah. still frame photos from high school where I'm like, I can't even see the plate. Um, yeah, I'd say number one, uh, get your neck worked on. Make sure, yeah. <laughs> make sure your neck mobility is good because you're going to be, you know, cranking right. on that a little bit. I've had running into your arm. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be. Yeah, that's that's number one. But uh, yeah, just um, obviously being able to 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 be able to repeat your mechanics in the most efficient way you can. Um, but. That's, I, I will say I've had to relax. I've had to relax the arm slot a little bit, trying to find the the right mechanics where I can repeat it and stay healthy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've had, it seems like when I, when that arm slot runs higher and higher, um, you're going to run into some problems every, every now and again, um, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, just, uh, just being able to repeat it um, and, and work on that neck. That's probably, probably two yeah. biggest things for, for high slot yeah. guys and, and, uh, like, like we were just saying, throw it over the plate. You know, it's, um, a lot of times you'll be told to, uh, you know, throw it a certain way or throw it a certain spot, but, uh, strikes always going to play the best. And, you know, from my arm, high arm slot, I didn't, I didn't never even knew that I was like a a ride guy until I got to the blue Jays, uh, Mm um, in 28, end of 2018. So, you know, I was trying to throw it down in the zone while spinning it well, and it, it yeah. didn't work out very well. It's a long, so, it's a long way to go. I'd say, yeah, know know your uh, know your strengths and how your how your ball plays coming out of your hands yeah. is is, uh, is a huge factor in that as well. I think there are different kinds of ride guys too. You know, if you look at like like we had Josiah Gray on the podcast, and obviously you, you know you've been around Scherzer, like those guys are really using like a, a unique you know vertical approach angle, so they're they're probably getting away with a lot more you know belt high four seams than than guys that throw from you know, way up where you are. So you, it's, it's just a different approach and you have to probably be a lot more targeted with your ability to pitch in the top of the zone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so maybe use that to lead to my next question is talk about the pitch mix and how it's been adjusted over the years. Like I know there's, there's been a change up at times. There's, you know, the change has been minimized at times. Like give me like the history of it and then maybe how it's merged to what it is today. So uh, I was always been a, um, 
predominantly a fastball pitcher. Um, and then like, like we were talking about earlier, my dad was, uh, super, super good with making sure that, um, I wasn't overdoing anything workload wise, you know, all the way through high school and everything. So I, I really didn't even get to throw a breaking ball very much. Um, so I, I always just try to have feel for a changeup. So I, I had that, um, early on, I was always just a fastball changeup guy. Um, and then like we were just talking about with, with all the basketball and all these other, other things going on, it, it gets hard to kind of master a breaking pitch when you're, when you're not really throwing that much anyway, and you can get away with just throwing a fastball for the most part. So I was pretty much a fastball changeup guy and would just try to try to flick in a curveball, you know, starting like junior year, senior year. So, um, super late to the game, um, with breaking balls to probably, uh, affect how I, I developed in, uh, in the long, in the long run, but started throwing a, a slider and a, and a curveball all probably off and on <laughs> 10 times through college and early minors and didn't find anything that I really liked, um, or felt that comfortable with. There'd be stretches where the slider was good. Um, and then, uh, yeah, really just, just four seam fastball and circle change. And then tinkering with something until about 20, I guess it was 2020 found a, a cutter grip that I use as like a, a cutter slash slider can make it bigger, make it smaller. Uh, found that in about 2020. So I basically have had, uh, those three pitches since then. So that, that it'll be, uh, it could be called a slider. It could be called a cutter. I call it a cutter. It's a, it's a cutter grip. So is the mentality grip it and rip it, or do you actually like try to get to the front of the baseball with it? Um, so there was seen out of the above. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's impossible to answer because there's been times just the way the baseball works over the past few years where uh, I feel more comfortable throwing a strike with that than my fastball or my changeup in it could get, be a get me over type of cutter where it's like, you know, 86, or it could be um, trying to tunnel one right off of an outside fastball where I try to rip it at 91. Um, so that's just been uh, having that third option. Um, where I never really had like a, a dependable third option um, at, for a pitch up until I found that kind of a cutter grip just to give it like a third look. Um and then just got more comfortable with it. It's, and I can, I naturally kind of cut my four seam anyway, sometimes uh, kind of a cut ride. And then it's just easier. I can, it's easier for me to get on the side of the baseball a little bit and just create a little cut. So that's been a, that's been a, um, a nice little safety blanket at times, especially in the last couple of years. So, but now just, just kind of starting to add a bigger, um, more down, more downward slider or slurve or some kind of, downward breaking ball to go with my um, kind of high hoppy fastball to create more of a, a difference. But that change up, the change up I have is, is a big enough speed gap and depth where I can use that to both sides and, and get that same effect. But um, we're, we're still working on a, a little bit bigger of a, a slider to kind of go with everything as well. That's awesome. And so, you know, all that said, you took a huge step forward in 2022. You got an inning in the big leagues in 21 for your major league debut. And then, you know, they, the Blue Jays DFA'd you and the Orioles claimed you. And it seems like they really had a plan. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, it seems like there was some mechanical adjustments. There was even some adjustments to the pitch, you know, approach. You know, when you look back, and I mean, you you made, what, 66 appearances in the AL East um, with, with a lot of success. What were the difference makers, you know, for you that that helped you to have the success that you had this past year? Well, it, 
it was uh, just a combination of a lot of things. I think um, finding that third pitch exactly, which oddly enough was finding the changeup again, um, mm-hmm. was what helped me get through. I, I kind of uh, the first couple months, I didn't, I just didn't have the feel for it. Um, so I didn't really want to throw it and get myself behind the counts, especially you know, first time in the big leagues, it's like I, I don't want to put any free, you know, any free bags more than more than is necessary. So trying to go right at people and throw strikes. And I felt like I couldn't do it with the changeup. So it kind of got put on the back end and then uh, struggled a little bit, had to go, had to learn the hard way that, you know, you might need that. And it, it obviously is a weapon once I can kind of throw it over the plate. So we just worked on that as much as we could try to get the feel back for it and kind of found it, um, let's say about two months into this past season and up the usage a lot once I, once I did find it. So that, that was huge. And then, um, also finding a little bit of velo with, uh, with, I was getting kind of squatty. Um, this was the other big thing, which is kind of a mechanical thing. I was getting kind of squatty, um, right out of glove break and I really wasn't getting out, mm-hmm. um, or down the mound at all. So I really just started staying a little bit higher and letting my hips kind of go. And then, um, really not trying to stride too long was kind of a big key because that kind of was an indicator of me trying to get squatty and lungy and get closer to the plate. Um, yeah. So really just those two things were the, the biggest things during this year where you just pick up on, uh, and they kind of happened at the same time. So where I had like a nice little uptick in velo and then found my changeup pretty, pretty soon afterwards. So everything kind of synced up. I like it. Um, you know, I think is the most kind of like maybe important lesson from all that is like you, you went from 40 appearances in 21, right? Or excuse me, 2020. Yeah. 2021. Uh, it's 39 in triple a and one in the big leagues. And then you made 66 appearances in the L East. And we both know that's pretty high pressure. It's, it's hard on the Mahdi. There's there, you know, there's more false alarms where you get hot and sit down. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what were the key strategies that you employed to, you know, to not just, you know, stay fresh, stay healthy, but to also like, you know, perform, you know, exceed your own expectations like, is there any like key strategies that you picked up in this first like full year working in a major league bullpen? Yeah. Yeah. There's that's, uh, I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest aspect that young guys can learn from is, is, you know, you think you've experienced some workload and then mm-hmm. you, you really experience it. Once you get up there, it's like, you know, this is a different type of toll, uh, mentally and physically. So, I mean, you, you have to, you have to make it a, pri- a serious priority to uh, recover in, in any way you can. So, um, starts started with me with sleep. Uh, I, I just uh, I no matter what, making sure that I'm getting you know good sleep is probably the number one thing throughout the year. I guess it's it gets uh, it gets overlooked because you know we're traveling and we're doing all kind of stuff where it gets it gets difficult sometimes. You know, games run late and all that stuff. So. Um, really buttoning up those habits, um, is, is what was the biggest thing and being able to see guys like Jordan Lyles and, um, longtime big leaguers, um, kind of maneuvered their way through, uh, a long, you know, a long, hard season. So, um, that was, that was the biggest thing is making sure you're getting your, you're getting your sleep and then just finding a routine that you can really stick to, um, not really showing up to the park and like wondering what you need to do in terms of, you know, getting your body ready for what you need to do that day, but having to, having a, you know, having a really good routine to stick with. Um, and then really communicating with the, uh, the training staff. So just staying on top of all, all that stuff. So, I mean, I think 
whether it be contrasting or, you know, making sure you have your, your routine that you same routine you do every day in the weight room to make sure you're right. And then listening to your body was probably the, the other big one for me. I think we started the, uh, the second half of the season and our assistant pitching coach, Darren Holmes, who's who played in the big leagues for a long time. He kind of, he kind of walked up to me during throwing program. And uh, this is one that sticks out with, with me for the, the season. He was like, it was like the first day we got back. I think we were actually uh, playing the Yankees right after the all-star break. And he's like, Hey, how you feeling? After, you know, kind of halfway ish point, you know, all-star break. And I'm like, Oh, you know, feel pretty good. Just had a few days off and the Yankees are coming to town. I feel good to go. He's like, yeah, I know you're lying. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, no, I actually, I actually do feel, I mean, I did feel pretty good. I just, I was resting, but he's like, you know, there's going to be, you know, the dog days are going to be coming soon. Um, biggest thing I can tell you is, is manage your, manage your workload, specifically your catch play. Yeah. Um, and that, that, um, that was really big for me the second half, especially, um, kind of getting to these, these workloads that I hadn't really experienced before, especially like you said, with getting hot and not knowing you're going to be in the game and, and you gotta be, you gotta be ready. So it's, it, it definitely takes a toll, but, um, you know, just listening, listening to the body. And then the second half really, really pumped the brakes on a lot of the, the throwing program stuff to where, um, the main goal is just to be as fresh as you can for the, for the real game. So, um, that's one thing I, I, I consider myself pretty terrible at, especially when I was, uh, you know, low A, high A, just, I would throw for 30 minutes, making sure I'm trying to get something right when, you know, I'm actually wasting, wasting bullets and putting myself further back behind the ball. Yeah. I love that. And you know what I think is a really key point there is like you talked about this the importance of like all the prep that happens before you ever even step on the field. I think like the casual fan or even just like, you know, a younger player is is used to just like seeing what big leaguers do when they like go out for pitcher stretch or something like that. And you talk to anybody who's had like success in this game and durability, like there's always some level of more individualized prep that takes place, you know, whether it's, you know, manual therapy with the training staff or, you know, just those you know, 10 exercises they do in the weight room every single day to get moving around. They, you know, they go through their foam rolling. You, you talked all about the recovery side of things. There's just, there's so much that happens that nobody sees to actually prepare for, you know, going out and throwing 11 pitches that night or something like that. But it, it takes a ton right. of work to get to that five minutes of work. Um, yeah. Going out and throwing 11 as hard as you can and then yeah. you go home and get a, get a couple hours of sleep and show up and be ready to do the next thing <laughs> the next day. So yeah, that's, there's definitely uh there's, there's a bunch of, bunch of credit to be given on that end with, you know, finding a routine that, you know, we could get, you know, soft tissue done and, um, you know, hit the BFR pretty much every time I hit the slope was, it's kind of something I started in rehab that was really big for me. And then, um, experienced a little bit of, uh, I did like starting to get into the contrast and a little bit of the sauna stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, just listening to your body was kind of the, the biggest thing towards the, especially towards the, the second half of the season. I think um, when I talk to my, and you'll appreciate this as a former basketball guy, is that when I when I talk to my buddies who work in other sports, the thing they can never grasp, you know, is is not so much the length of the season, but just the nature of daily games. It's like, holy, you you played eight games in seven days, like in in three different time zones. Like, how does that even happen? And you know, in the NBA, you, you play two to three times a week, and you know, if somebody's a little banged up, you can find a day to get them off, and all of a sudden, they've had like five days of rest. Like, if you try to do that in Major League Baseball, there's someone else that's having to wear those innings, you know, for the for the next five days. It's really, really hard to do. So, I love the idea of being like proactive because if you're if you're reactive in baseball, it just it doesn't work when the games are just layered on top of each other. Yeah, you're probably too late if you're <laughs> if you're, 
if you're reactive, that's for sure. Yeah. It, it happens fast. So um, one of the things I'm actually really interested in is um, I know early in your career, like you, you touched your first 100, the velo was kind of there and you went through a little hiccup. And, um, you know, this year from basically 21 to 22, you're up, it was 1.5 miles per hour on average and, and your peak velo was up four ticks as well. Um, I know some of it was like you were a little bit banged up at, at certain points last year, but there was also quite a bit of adjustments that you made. Um, you know, I'm thinking actually first and foremost in one conversation we had about like the nutrition side of things where I think you were a guy that had kind of drifted in the direction of mass equals gas. And I know we, we talked just like in passing last year and I didn't, I didn't remember the conversation, but you were like, yeah, I was a little bit more judicious and stuff. So maybe speak to like the nutrition and the training adjustments that you think maybe you know, help set the stage for some of the things you did this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, that the, the nutrition aspect was just kind of something that that you helped me realize that you know maybe it was there's there's room for improvement there for sure. I think uh, going back to the whole sleep thing, I think starting with that, I kind of was just analyzing you know all other aspects of of training and how I could possibly you know optimize that to where I'm feeling the best. Um, so cleaning up the diet was huge. I think um, pretty much started to be. The beginning part of last off season where I started um, paying a lot more attention to it and just, you know, being smart, um, not, not having the, as much pizza and um, all the unnecessary sweets and all the stuff that I love still. Um, <laughs> but um, just taking all that stuff way more seriously, I think um, just kind of affected uh, everything. Honestly, so, in, when it comes from energy levels to how quickly I felt like I'm recovering Um made a massive difference actually. So I actually lost 10, 10 to 12 pounds probably uh, from like what I normally was for the past uh, four years or so um, and feel way better and have since really, but really just, um, you know, mixing in a few vegetables and making sure <laughs> not, not eating like a bonehead was, was pretty big part of, um, you know, how, how well I recover and, and, you know, staying in one piece for, uh, these past couple of years for sure. I think um, the mass equals gas thing, you, you kind of throw it out the window above six, four, six, five. Um, just seen a lot of tall guys who just don't feel really good heavy. You know, there, there's some that do, but you know, you, you mentioned like the basketball background and all that stuff. Some of it's just like being able to tap into your elasticity well. And if you feel, you know, heavy and slow, no matter how strong you are, it doesn't necessarily work. But I mean, you and, you and Declan adjusted a lot of the training too. Like you, you, you still lifted some heavy stuff, but it was, it was much more sparing. There was a lot more elasticity, change of direction, kind of like get back to your roots athleticism. Maybe, maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I think that that was the other big thing. I think, um, it, it, it was always like this, this strength, um, you know, like motive for me where I felt like I needed to be, you know, the strongest guy and do everything, you know, as, as, as hard as I could. And, um, it, it just didn't last, you know, every, every season, um, you know, when I was trying to do that type of stuff, especially when even the in-season lifts were, I can't even describe you, you would cringe. Um, some, <laughs> of the stuff, some of the stuff I was doing, especially early on in, in, in my career. But um, yeah, getting a grasp on that stuff was 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 huge as well. I think, um, yeah, not not trying to lift five days a week and, and you know, go hard every time was was probably pretty, pretty productive, I think. Um, it kind of trans, honestly, just being an athlete and being springy is, is what I try to feel now, um, as opposed to, you know, feeling heavy and strong like I was a couple of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. 
where now it's, it's a lot easier to, to move and it's, um, the, the recovery is a lot easier. And uh, I feel like I'm not, I'm not crawling uphill as much, you know, just trying to get to that spot where I feel good, you know, and where the recovery is, is just, it's way better now. Um, but, no, yeah, there's, like, don't lose motion as quickly either, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's, and, and it's, I was, I was, uh, uh, as you know, I was never the most flexible, never the most flexible, uh, best range of motion guy. So this, um, shed a few pounds is probably good for that as well. But the thing I would say that's pretty key to that, and this is, you know, we even kind of talked to Verlander about this a little bit. Um, you see these guys that have a, fa- a foundation of strength, right? You had college strength conditioning. You had done this through high school. Like at some point the, you know, the window of adaptation just gets smaller and smaller, like training strength. It, 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 it probably beats you up much more than it can help you. But what's always been impressive to me is how well it sticks around. Like you're still a very strong dude. You could walk in a weight room and, you know, deadlift 405 for, for five, probably with no warm up, And it's, it's just there because you understand in your training that like, even when you're using sub maximal loads, you're, you're moving them quickly and, and always kind of like attacking the bar. So I think it's just about like, it's not so much about what's on the bar. It's, it's the intent to always want to move it fast regardless. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it, it obviously it's, you got to put your ego aside sometimes to where, you know, you're not, <laughs> you might not get the same rush from deadlifting, you know, 500 pounds that you do from doing like a, a one arm cable row or something mm-hmm. like that, but you, you got to take it as seriously. So, um, that, that, that definitely has paid off, um, uh, in, in the long run for sure. That's awesome. All right. We always, um, those wrap things up with a lightning round and uh, I'm actually really intrigued about this first one. Who do you like to watch? You know, whether it's guys whose delivery or like yours or guys that you've, you know, really learned from, from, from watching. Uh, well, I, I guess maybe don't tell him, but I've always been a Mad Max fan. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love the way he goes about his business. I think, um, you know, even when I was in like high school, um, I, he was, he was one of the main guys I was watching. Um, and then now it's, it's pretty easy because there's, so many guys going out there and lighting up the radar gun and throwing some nasty stuff. So you could just pick your name out of a hat. Now I, I like, um, I still like, I still like watching Max a lot. I like watching, uh, I like watching my throwing partner, Braxton Garrett. You got to give him a shout oh, out. There you um, go. Recent podcast guest. Whenever, uh, you know, whenever he's got all four of those pitches working, it's or five. Gosh, you include the two scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty fun to watch, but yeah, I, I'm really, uh, I'm kind of a baseball junkie. You'll see me out there when these, especially now when the bullpen start cranking up, I'm out there trying to watch everybody. Um, I'm just a student of the game, but yeah, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a few influence influences out there. Max being one of them. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that. I, I do think there's a little bit of Scherzer in the way you're able to flip the switch. So um, <laughs> you're coming across as very mild mannered, but we, we both know you can go to a dark place when you need to. <laughs> um, Absolutely. How about a favorite teammate of all time and why? Oh gosh. You can pick more than one if you need to. I don't want you to hurt any feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'll hurt any feelings. I mean, this has got to be a, I mean, I've bounced around from a few organizations now. I got a bunch of, had a bunch of teammates, but, uh, um, Man, that's 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 a tough one. I think uh, I think Patrick Murphy is one that that sticks out. Uh, he was uh, he was in the Blue Jays system with me for a few years, and um, you know made it up. And he's he's uh, just signed with the Twins. He's with the Twins now, but he's one that sticks out. 
Um, you know, just the same guy shows up every day and um, kind of has an upbeat, upbeat personality and is always kind of messing around with people, keeping it light. So, um, you, you know, when you, when you play this game for a living and you're stuck with the same group of guys and showing up every day and, you know, not all the days are super easy and sunshine and roses. So it's good to have those kind of guys that, uh, that, that keep it light. He's, he's one that sticks out, but I mean, another one sticks out for me is, is Ruben Odor. He's, uh, I just played with him this past year, but I think he's, uh, he's like a position player version of me with his, with his intensity. So, um, that's, that's another one that's, that sticks out for sure. Nice. Um, this one's a good one because you played multiple sports. You, you've been in three different organizations, obviously you've been in the private sector with us. What are some of the qualities of the, of the best coaches that you've had? Like what's, what's helped you personally in the different coaches that you've interacted with? Um, well, usually they're, uh, they can, they can shoot it straight. Um, I always appreciate somebody that that's, that's going to tell you how they feel. And when you're doing something that, that they don't agree with, they'll, they'll let you know. I like being able to, to, to hear, you know, their thoughts on, yeah. on, on things. And, um, you know, I, I think I had, um, I mean, I've had a ton of great coaches, but my pitching coach with the Rockies, the first two seasons, he was actually with us in rookie ball and, and, and low as well. Um, shout out to Ryan Kibler. I think, uh, some of the best coaches I've had are, are kind of like him where it's super relatable where, you know, they've gone through some of the stuff that you're going through and they, they, uh, they know the right time to, to, to feed you some advice and then they know the right time to, to kind of let you do your own thing because you're kind of in a groove and you don't want to mess with too much whenever it's going right. But, you know, having the, having the right feel for when you want to make a tweak or something like that, just having that feel for, you know, what some, what, what that person's going through and when, when you can feel like you can kind of help them and more times than not, I think, um, it's, it's been a, yeah, it's been guys like that kind of stick out who, uh, you feel like you can talk to at any point. So. I think that's important. So many guys say they want honesty, but they, they really aren't ready for honesty. And like you have to embrace really direct feedback. That's critical. Yeah. I, I heard, uh, you know, one of the first things I heard, in uh, professional baseball is actually was a great piece of advice. And that was be a good, be a good self-evaluator. Um, so just be honest with yourself and then, you know, look for it out of other people and try to, you know, find a, find a way to, to get better each day. That's really all it's about. That's awesome. Our last one, probably the most important, give uh, teenage Brian Baker some advice. If you go back in time. Um, wow. I think, um, Keep playing multiple sports. I think I think we got that right. I think a, re- a reaffirmation. That's always a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. Not even advice on that end. Just yeah. uh, maybe uh, maybe be a little more appreciative of uh, of your dad when he's when he's telling you you know you can only throw a certain number of pitches. Uh, <laughs> I, I was might have a, been a little bit more upset than I sh- than appreciative at the time. That was a, a Tim Corbin lesson on a recent podcast. It was something to the effect of uh, appreciate your parents more, but depend on them less that's that's pretty spot on i think i think that's that's the kind of the avenue i'm going i think i'm going you know appreciate uh appreciate your parents you know driving you around across the state of florida so you can go play a little tournament and um you know just enjoy the game which i think i always have but i, I would still i would still advise my teenage self you know don't be worried about um too much about what other people think about the way you're playing and all that stuff you know um you still got to go out there and have fun. That's the main thing. So right on. 
Uh, well, Brian, you got some awesome stuff on social media. A lot of pictures on Instagram of you being very fired up and yelling at something. It's Brian.Baker43. And then on Twitter, it's um, BrianBaker24. Um, hey, man, this is awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. I actually learned some stuff about you that I didn't know. And I think some really, really good insights for you know, for, for a lot of the up and comers out there that are trying to, trying to live the dream in a way that you did too. Well, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, thanks for, thanks for being you and helping me get where I'm at. So I mean, you deserve some credit too, baby. No, it's all good. You got, you guys are putting in the work, so it makes it fun. So thanks for taking the time.